We'll be looking at all of this chapter except for the final two verses. Every week at the end of the service, I pronounce a blessing. This blessing is not magic, but neither is it wishful thinking. It is God's promise to all who believe in his Son. Jesus Christ alone has redeemed us from the curse through his death on the cross. And we who are in Christ are no longer under God's condemnation, but now live our lives under his blessing. Well, what does it really look like to live under God's blessing? Well, if we're honest, our hope is that it will make our life in this world better. We may not expect to have every day be walking on sunshine, but we are surprised and even at times dismayed when our ideas of better go unfulfilled. In fact, it's easy to look at our lives and come to the conclusion that they are only a mixture of good and evil with really no divine purpose, no sovereign outworking of God's blessing at all. And I am convinced that this is exactly what Esau concluded. He grew up under the blessing of God. Rather than purpose and meaning and direction in that blessing, he wanted more. He believed that he could have a better life apart from the blessing of God. Now Genesis 26, in my thinking, is like a grandfather telling his grandchildren some of the important events in his life. Isaac is the heir of the covenant promises. The blessing that was first given to Abraham now rests upon Isaac. From the beginning of his life, God's hand of blessing is clearly upon him. But as we look at Genesis 26 we see some blessing, but we see in these stories frustration, disappointment, and evil surrounding Isaac's life. And the question is, how is the blessing fitting together with all of this muck? You see, chapter 25 ends with Esau despising his birthright for a pot of stew. Now, we're not going to study these this week, it'll be next week, but the end of chapter 26 has Esau choosing wives from the Canaanites. And chapter 27 will begin with Jacob stealing the blessing from Esau. So as we read chapter 26, 
I'm convinced that it's primarily an explanation of what the blessing looks like in Isaac's life. And in, as we read this story, we're, we're supposed to be hearing through the words of Isaac, but really hearing from God, your life is going to look much like Isaac's life. You're under God's blessing, but it's going to be mixed with frustrations and disappointments and evils, and you have to also choose to not be like Esau but more so like Jacob and continue to cling to the blessing of God. Let's just go through the text. We're not going to read the whole thing at once. We're going to read a section and then talk about it and then move through. Beginning with verses 1 through 6. Now there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham... And Isaac went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands. And I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge and commandments, my statutes and my laws. So Isaac settled in Gerar. The text begins very surprisingly, very abruptly. There's a famine in the land. If God's blessing rests upon Isaac, and a part of that blessing is a fruitful land, why in the world is there another famine in the land? This land's supposed to be flowing with milk and honey. Instead of abounding fruitfulness, this land produces nothing. And Isaac, just like his dad has to leave the land just to survive. Hmm. The hard truth is that throughout history, whether you're Old Testament under the blessing or New Testament under the blessing, 2 Corinthians 4 was very clear about this, God's people have to deal with famine. I know that I have never personally lived through a true famine. But difficult trials happen to God's people. We just prayed about uh, one this morning, a husband being taken from this life with a family that needs him. Cars break down at just the worst time. Cost far more to fix than we hoped for. We're in danger of losing our job. We don't get the raise that we desperately needed. We get sick far too often. Inflation is high. And even in a country that has rich resources, we struggle to make ends meet. 
why would God allow those given the blessing to experience famine? Well, God doesn't explain himself. But there are a couple things that we can see in this text. One thing is for sure, if there ever is going to be the fullness of the promises of blessing, God is going to have to lift the curse that is on this earth. Period. God will, and he does in this passage, give seasons in which our lands relatively are fruitful. But the return of Christ, in which he absolutely lifts the curse off this world, is the only place that you will experience the fullness of God's blessing. Now, another reason that God allows famine is because he wants his people to live by faith. Now, what it means to live by faith is to trust in something when you're not currently experiencing it. God declares that you are under his blessing. Even when you're not experiencing that blessing, you believe it. That's faith. Now, if you remember, it was famine that led Abraham out of the land. And it was famine that brought Abraham to a low point in his faith. He doubted the goodness and power of God to overcome the obstacles and actually give him the blessing. So he leaves the land. Guess where he goes? Down to Egypt. And what we see in Abraham's going to Egypt is that he's not trusting in God's provision of blessing. He continues to think of, what can I do to bring about that blessing? Now, our hopes of blessing are not connected to a piece of geography, whether it be a piece of land in the Middle East or even to American geography. But when we experience the hardships of life, it is easy to lose your confidence that God does bless us or that that blessing actually matters. Our faith can become weakened. We can look to ourselves. We can trust in the world. We can look to even other religions or other people that might provide for us rather than God. And I believe that the reason, one of the reasons why God brings about a famine in the land is to teach us to live by faith. Now what's interesting, Abraham was a man of faith. He was the model for all of us to live by faith. You would think that what he would pass on to his kids is faith. But what he passes on to them is fear. Do you see this? Isaac doesn't just get to the conclusion, oh man, dad trusted in times of famine, I'm going to trust God. No, he looks at his dad's model of not faith, And that's what he follows. Isn't that the way it works so often? Our kids follow our worst aspects 
We want them to follow our best, and they follow our worst. Now, Isaac is on his way to Egypt. And he runs into Abimelech. And we believe that Abimelech is kind of a, it's a, it's a title name. It means king, Melech means king. And so we think this is probably the son of the Abimelech that Abraham ran into, maybe grandson. But it doesn't matter. The fact that it's the same name, you just go, oh my goodness, have we just like Groundhog Day, we're hitting the same thing again? And, and you could see God saying, do my people never learn? And he could be harsh. But again, in verse 2, what do we see? God intervenes. Not with harshness. God initiates the encounter. He appears to Isaac. God knows that left to himself, Isaac will not trust the promised blessing. You ever feel that way? You ever feel like, I need God to help me? keep believing. God does not leave us to our own devices. He intervenes. This is sovereign grace. This is covenant grace. And God is going to keep Isaac from going down to Egypt. You see, from God's perspective, famine is not an interruption in his promise of blessing. God can be faithful to you even when you're experiencing your famine, whatever that might be. But even though we trust in sovereign grace, it's not as if Isaac is just a bump on a log. God expects him to respond. And what does he expect? He expects Isaac to trust his word. You see, Abraham was called to leave his land and go to the promised land. Isaac is not given this command to go anywhere. He's called to stay. But the essence is the same. Trust God's word above above your experience. That's hard. Now, his obedience is not the cause of blessing, but it is the instrument by which we receive the blessing. You know, you have a choice every day. Am I just going to go chase after what I can get out of this world? Squeeze out of it myself? Or am I going to live by faith in God's promises to me? And God makes the same promises. These these covenant promises are not new promises. They're the same promises that he gave to Abraham. He promises relationship. I will be with you. Can't you just hear Jesus saying, I will never leave you nor forsake you before he ascends into heaven? He promises a fruitful land. I think that's really interesting. Uh, God, do you not see that the land is in famine? He says, no, 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 you're going to have a fruitful land. So directly opposed to what his eyes see and he can experience, he tells him, trust the blessing. 
He promises to him offspring. It's very likely that this initial part of the story occurs prior to um, Jacob and Esau being born. We, we think that because Isaac puts forth Rebekah as his sister, and if she had two little kids running around, might not come off that well, right? So, so it's likely that this is out of chronology here. But there's one thing that's added in these blessings, and it says, you're going to be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice. Now, this might be small to us. We could just pass over it, but it's very important. First off, he says that Abraham obeyed and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, my laws. Now, if you know anything about the story so far, God doesn't give Abraham a lot of commands. Like, you know, leave your home, uh, walk before me, uh, sacrifice Isaac. That was it. I mean, those of commands, there's just not a lot given to Abraham. But listen to this wording. Just listen to the wording from Deuteronomy. That's, that's the book of Moses, back way down in the future when Moses is leading his people. It says, you shall, rec- you shall therefore love the Lord your God and keep his charge, his statutes, his rules, and his commandments always. Almost the exact same language. Now, I think what's going on here is that Moses understands something that's, you know, sometimes not easy for us to get. And that is that the command to tell Isaac to obey and the, 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 the essence of Abraham obeying is the same thing that we have in the law when God says, love me and obey me. It's not like, It's expanded, it's more detailed, but it's still the same essence. You need to listen to my voice rather than to your own wisdom. Uses the same phraseology. And there's another aspect here. Somehow Abraham's obedience is procuring blessings for Isaac. And that's mysterious to us. We'll talk about that here. Abraham is a model to you. He functions as someone that you want to emulate. But as we've already said in past sermons, he also functions as our covenant head. And as such, he's a model of Jesus Christ. You could very much in your life insert Christ for Abraham. You receive the blessing of God because Jesus obeyed. It's that simple. Doesn't mean that you don't also have to learn obedience. That's that's clear. But you don't earn the promises yourself. They're given to you by the obedience of another. And that's what Christ Jesus has done for you. He is the one who has perfectly earned the blessing. That's the gospel. Now, let's continue on, 7 through 11. When the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, for he feared to say, My wife, thinking, lest the men of the place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. 
When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Now this is confusing in many ways if you don't think about the blessing. First off, you are to see that Isaac, even though he's heard the word of promise, continues to act out of fear. Is that true? Faith and fear are opposites. Now, the fear of God is a good thing, okay? But the fear of man is not. And I'm telling you that the fear of danger of men is an obstacle to enjoying covenant blessing. Isaac is not trusting God here. He's fearing man. It causes him to do bad things, wrong things. So each one of us has to ask the question, what motivates me to do the things that I do every day? Is it fear? Fear of men? Fear of famine? Fear of danger? Is that what drives you? It's what the world would like you to be driven by. Am I driven by faith in the promises of God? Now, if we looked at Abraham and this, I mean Isaac in this little snippet, you would think, does he have any faith at all? It looks like he doesn't have any faith. But that's not the conclusion we're supposed to come to because Isaac is a man of faith. And that's another thing that should be encouraging to us because just because you are people of faith not just faith church, but your people of faith in God, doesn't mean you don't still struggle with unbelief. Your pastor does. It's hard to live every moment trusting in God and not living in fear. The whole point of this is to strengthen your faith, to nourish your faith, to build up your faith so that you are living in obedience to God and his word rather than just fear of lack of blessing. It is encouraging to know that the blessing itself is not dependent, hear this, the blessing itself is not dependent on the perfection of your faith. If it were, Isaac would be out. But we think that, oh, I've lost the blessing because I didn't trust fully. I I, I lived under fear. I must have lost it. No. God intervenes, and he is the one driving this. It is the perfect faith of Jesus Christ and the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ that is actually procuring the blessing. But God still is teaching his people to trust. That's what he wants out of his people. He wants you to live by faith. 
Now, it's interesting that uh, the, the intervention of God with Abraham was through a direct dream. Oh, wouldn't we all love it if God just spoke to us all the time? But in this situation, God doesn't do that. He actually waits a long time, and then through a twist of providence, Abimelech sees Rebekah and Isaac playing together. There's some kind of intimacy going on here. Who do you think controls that? God's hand of providence controls it. But guess what? Providence is much easier to be denied than direct intervention. Think about Esau. Oh, come on. It just happened that Abimelech saw that. You could just hear his denial of the providence of God in this. But it's there. Now, what's also interesting is that, that Abimelech, and this is, this, Abimelech is a foil of Esau. In other words, Abimelech, who is an unbeliever outside of the covenant, doesn't have the blessing of God, recognizes the importance and value of the blessing more so than Esau does. You see, if, if somebody came in and did something wrong in your kingdom, you'd be like, you're going to be out of here. You th- you'd think he'd be the one being punished. You did the wrong, Isaac, so you're going to be punished. But Abimelech says, oh, the blessing of God is on you. So therefore, you would have brought guilt on us. That doesn't make any sense. Unless God's people, Isaac, are the ones who are under God's blessing. And Abimelech recognizes this. Very interesting. Continuing on, verses 12 through 14. Isaac sowed in the land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And, oh, I went a little farther. Sorry, excuse me. So here's the thing. Now now he's... Abraham, I mean, Isaac is not in the promised land. He's close to it. He's very close, but he's not in the promised land. And God chooses to give him a lot of blessing. It even says a hundredfold. And it's very clear in the text, this is directly from God's blessing. One might ask, but why didn't he just give it to him in the first place? Okay, God's mystery, right? Because blessing doesn't always work out the way you think it should work out. And yet God is blessing him. But here's the thing. Isaac actually sows. He doesn't just sit back and go, ah, God's going to bless me. I'll just sit back and do nothing. He works hard. It's very clear in the text. He sows. He sows the land. And that's a good thing. And we too work hard. And what do we say when somebody actually gets a good job and gets some wealth and thinks, oh, he worked hard for that. Right? Do you see how God's blessing could be interpreted as just hard work? Because you do have to work. God calls you to work. And I could just hear Esau, oh, yeah, Dad, you got all this stuff because you're smart. You worked hard. Instead of seeing it as God's blessing. Right? And then, what's more? Envy creeps in. Envy creeps in. You know what this tells me about the new heavens and the new earth? If there is going to really be a place where we have unended bliss 
and fellowship and blessing, you know what has to be gone? Envy from our hearts. Now think about yourself. How often do you struggle when someone else is blessed more than you? How often do you look at the blessing of others and you, in a sense, want to bring them down rather than praise God for what he's given to them? It could be material wealth, it could be beauty, it could be friendships, it could be whatever. We envy what others have. And I know that every person in eternity will have every spiritual blessing, but I don't discount the fact that even in glory, we will look different. And there could possibly be if God hadn't dealt with our sin, envy and glory. So it tells us what, if we're going to enjoy the blessing, God has to destroy envy in our hearts. So how is he doing with you today? Is he working on that in you? Are you happy when others experience blessing? Verse 15, I kind of read that together, and this is another one that discourages us, right? We... Abraham was the man of blessing. One of the ways that God gave him blessing was that he dug wells, and those wells produced water, and and it was just wonderful that they could have water in the land. What has happened to those wells? They have been stopped up. Why were they stopped up? Because people envied, because the evil of people's hearts. You want to talk about discouraging your trust in the blessing? It's, we want to always think that our lives are moving forward and progressing, that you're building, you're building, you're building. And then what Isaac comes into the picture and he says, oh yeah, that blessing that God gave to Abraham, my father, destroyed, wasted, gone. Hmm. That'll make you think that maybe the blessing's not helpful. Oh, to be in a land where things didn't rot. Disease didn't creep in. Bodies didn't fall apart. People didn't get jealous and destroy what we have. Okay, continue on, verses 16 to 22. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found a well of spring water, it's a good thing, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna, and he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. What I see here is that even in the midst of quarreling, he builds a well. Things look good. People take the well from him. He has to move on again. Each one of these movements, guess where they're taking them closer and closer and closer back to? The promised land. 
God is using geographically the struggle and the strife and the trial to direct the heart of Isaac back to the promised land. And the same thing happens to us. As if we are people of faith, as we go through life, as we experience troubles, if you continue to believe, it is directing your hearts to your eternal home. And I know that the new heavens, new earth is a city. I know that Jerusalem comes down, and I know it's going to be lots of people there. But I like this little statement, we got enough room. We got enough space. It's not going to be overcrowded. We're not going to be stepping on each other's toes. I like that. There's going to be true space to live. Scarcity, fear, envy, destruction, quarreling. You can expect every one of these throughout your life. They may even tempt you to think that there really is not a blessing after all. Or that it's not of much use. That's what Esau concluded. Even though you are an heir of blessing and a co-heir with Jesus Christ, this world is not your home. Live here now. Sow here now. Look for God's blessing. He promises to give you your daily bread. But be more concerned about what God is doing in you producing in you a heart of faith, giving you a heart of obedience, rooting out envy in your life, causing you to want to follow Him in all your ways. Because that's what every person of the kingdom will be like when we get there. We've already once in this chapter shown God His promise of blessing. Again, in verse 23 to 25, God does it again. He shows up again. From there he went to Beersheba, and the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am God of your father, of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servant dug a well. How are you supposed to respond to this? What is God asking you to do? He's saying, trust me, obey me, but he's saying, worship me. This is why we think that what we do on Sunday mornings is not just a, oh yeah, I got to get up, go to worship, whatever. We are going to the house of the Lord to call upon his name because we believe that he has given us this blessing that we live under and we want to worship him all the days of our life. Verses 26 to 33. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar with Ahuza, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army, Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. Notice that. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not touched you. Oh yeah, they've been quarreling with him for you know years. And have done, have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. 
Notice their recognition. You are the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came to him and told, came and told him about the well that they had dug and said to him, We have found water. He called it Sheba. Therefore the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. Here it is. Isaac, you are blessed. Isaac, you are blessed. God says it multiple times. Abimelech finally recognizes it. But Esau doesn't. You want to talk about breaking the heart of a parent. It is when a child walks away cares nothing for the faith we're going to look at that primarily next week we're going to see how Esau just chases after blessing outside of the covenant but for now I want you to see that even though the world attacks us even though the world claims our blessings for itself even though the world will mock us at times and even persecute us, in the end, the world will recognize that we are under God's blessing. It is not by accident that in Philippians 2, when they're declaring praise to God, they say, every knee shall bow to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Every knee. They will recognize that we are under the blessing of God. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, will we cling to that blessing, even when we are experiencing all kinds of mixture of muck and evils and frustrations and disappointments in this life? Will we continue to hold out onto the blessing? Listen to Hebrews 12. Hebrews is a book all about encouraging God's people to not lose their confidence in the blessing. Listen to what it says. Uh, First off, contextually, he's saying that when you experience hardship in this life, take it as God's training. He's working on you. You may not like it, but he's working on us. That's That's what the troubles in this life are all about. Then he says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift up your drooping hands, strengthen your weak knees, and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. See how he's just talking about renew your faith, renew your confidence in God's blessing upon you. Strive for peace with everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. You want to pray for this family that just had their their father and husband die? Pray that a root of bitterness towards God does not grow up in them. And And by it, many become defiled. See that no one is sexually immoral, it's chasing after the pleasures of this life apart from God, or, and here's the conclusion, unholy 
like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. Don't let the trials, the disappointments, even your ongoing frustration with your own sin not uh, uh, keep you from clinging to the promise of blessing that is yours in Christ. It is your birthright. He has pronounced it over you. And in just a few moments, I'm going to pronounce that blessing again. And it is your job to receive it and embrace it in faith. Amen.